Welcome. This is the Golden Beach Podcast, a ministry of Beether.org, in partnership with Golden Beach Community Church. And this week I'm not recording this message live during the Sunday morning worship service. Rather, this message comes to you from Las Vegas, Nevada. Not because Jesus said, go where the sinners are, but because my lovely wife of four years this week said, for our anniversary, let's go where flights and hotels are cheap. And voila, here we are. I titled this message, Everything I Learned About My Other Sins I Learned While Gambling in Vegas. I'd like to thank my friends and family at Golden Beach Community Church for making this trip possible and encouraging a weekend away for Sherry and me. I'd also like to thank all those who served during service this week, including Heather, Al, Larry, Terry, and Russell Smith, who served as guest pastor. Many thanks to you all. Most people who frequent casinos, and, and by the term frequent, I, I mean that very loosely, have a favorite game and a handful of rituals or superstitions. To say the least, the people watching in Las Vegas is a trip in itself. We've been passed on the sidewalk by an Elvis impersonator on a rascal scooter. We witnessed people getting their picture taken with Dr. Evil and Mini-Me from Austin Powers movies. And there are, of course, the infamous timeshare salespeople who would gladly give you two tickets to a show and a buffet for the small price of committing six hours of your vacation time to take a tour of a property that you will likely never use or be able to afford. And we certainly can't forget the guys placing trading cards of escorts and dancers in your hands. And I wonder if these guys could pass out Bible tracts. They have some amazing skills. It's a little like reverse pickpocketing. But aside from the stereotypical debauchery, there's quite a bit of respectable entertainment to be had Sherry, two of her sisters, her spouse, and I enjoyed seeing Ashley McBride and George Strait in concert. We also were entertained by a magician and a comedian. My friends, you are in for a treat. I have some new material for the next time we all get together. And Las Vegas is also home to some of the best and worst food I've ever had. And for Sherry and me, it is the place we snuck away to so that we could begin our life together as husband and wife. You may insert your own joke here about who won or lost that bet. Well, that gamble paid off, and after four years of marriage, we are still very much in love, and I can say with full honesty and pride that for the second time in a row, I will be leaving Las Vegas as a married man. <laughs> as we marveled at the people blowing on their dice in a desperate attempt to change the physics and odds of a game, we laughed at how people were just laying dollar after dollar. There are the same people that, if like me, are very thrifty in other, every other environment. For me, I'd rather wait three weeks and freeze my tail off in the driveway than pay for someone else to do my oil change. I'm also quite the connoisseur of the value menu at every fast food restaurant within walking distance of work. But sometimes mysterious things happen when the people nearby are cheering for you as you toss those two plastic die down a stretch of green felt and attempt to double your $3. Well, $3 down, there goes tomorrow's lunch money. But I keep playing, and there goes the next day's lunch money as well. But wait, I won. Woohoo, $3. But I'm still down 50%, or as I like to think of it, a McDouble with no onions and an all-you-can-drink Diet Dr. Pepper with light ice. Bummer. That stupid burger would taste a lot better than this defeat. Yet there's an excitement in winning, even if it's only a small thing or even something of no value or interest. You guys know how much I enjoy and respect my mother-in-law, Judy, who visits the church regularly. She is now living in a care center and enjoys her twice-weekly game of bingo. She regularly wins a prize, which usually is the choice of an air freshener for her apartment or a candy bar. Still, she glows when she wins as if it were a golden ticket. 
So as I'm continuing to share my lunch money with the casino, I find myself enjoying the little wins. And as I do the math and realize just how much that free drink cost me, I also realize that I'm beginning to do what most people do. I'm chasing my losses. Instead of quitting when I was ahead, I kept up my ways and then found myself throwing energy, emotion, and money after what I'd already lost. Is it possible that I would come out ahead? Sure, it's possible. But statistically, it wouldn't happen. The odds are literally against it, and they don't build beautiful buildings in the middle of deserts by giving away money. That's when I learned two lessons. First, I'm an idiot, but let's not dwell on that one. Second, how many times and how many ways did I try to get even, try to undo a wrong, or, or just try harder with the hopes of getting ahead? Which was the opposite of the results I was finding so far with this try harder philosophy. Folks, I'm not talking about casino play, I'm talking about the important things of life. Albert Einstein is widely credited with saying, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. Oh good, a respected genius just told me that I'm an idiot. Actually, I'm not an idiot. He says I'm insane. Well, whatever the title is for what I was doing, it was wrong. Not necessarily in the sense of gambling is wrong, more so in the sense that my thinking is flawed. It is deeply flawed. We are called to put God first in our lives, but do we always? Don't we, when we realize that we are falling short in this area, try to make it up in other areas, all the while missing the opportunity to honor Him and keep His day holy? We are called to be honest, to not lie, cheat, gossip, or steal. But, but don't we fail in this area sometimes because we want to protect feelings or avoid confrontation? And when we find that we tell another liar half-truth to cover that first one, and now that we have a short streak of these going, we dare not upset someone further or risk our reputation with the truth now. We're too far down that road. We've chased the loss, and now look how far in the hole we are. I believe we can draw similar comparisons with coveting what another person has. We may even find ourselves playing on the edge of dishonesty in order to achieve or, or give the impression that we can or will achieve what another person has. Again, we're chasing after a loss. But there is another kind of loss that the Bible speaks of. In the third chapter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes these words, But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Listen to those words. Count it all as loss, garbage. The contemporary English version uses the words worthless and garbage. The message paraphrases uses the term dog dung. Are you guys starting to get the message? Do you know what it is that Paul is considering so undesirable? For that answer, we need to step back a few verses. In Philippians 3, 1 through 6, this is again from the contemporary English version. Paul writes, Finally, my dear friends, be glad that you belong to the Lord. It doesn't bother me to write the same things to you that I've written before. In fact, it is for your own good. Watch out for those people who behave like dogs. They are evil and want to do more than just circumcise you. But we are the ones who are truly circumcised because we worship by the power of God's Spirit and take pride in Christ Jesus. We don't brag about what we have done, although I could. Others may brag about themselves, but I have more reason to brag than anyone else. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. 
and I am from the nation of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. I am a true Hebrew. As a Pharisee, I strictly obeyed the law of Moses. And I was so eager that I even made trouble for the church. I did everything the law demands in order to please God. Friends, can you hear in Paul's words that there are reasons to believe that certain, certain things are good and holy and pure, but they really aren't? He counted himself among those who are pursuing these things. In fact, you can hear him boast a little when he says, We don't brag about what I've, we have done, but I could. Okay, Paul, we got it. You are really good at being bad. And aren't we all? But then he recounts his standing and, and he says the words that we really need to hear from him. But Christ has shown me that once what I once thought was valuable is worthless, loss, garbage. Here's the truth, and this is from God's own words and found in Scripture. It says, Pursue righteousness, true, real, scriptural righteousness. From Matthew 5, 6, and these are Jesus' own words from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This continues later in verse 20, where Jesus speaks these words. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now remember that the Pharisees were strict keepers of the law. They were considered the most stringent, devout, and obedient of God's followers, at least to the extent that the law of Moses dictated. Yet Jesus tells us that our righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. The term Pharisees becomes synonymous with the word hypocrite, not necessarily because they were bad people, because they, like every one of us, sin, and they fall short of God's hope and expectation for our lives. When Jesus used this teaching moment, he knew that the people that had gathered to hear him speak held the Pharisees in this high regard, a pedestal of holiness and religious perfection. In this way, Jesus made his point that this alleged and perceived to be unattainable level of righteousness still isn't enough. In Matthew 23, 28, Jesus calls out this detrimental mindset when he says, In the same way, on the outset you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Later in the book of Matthew, we find more of Jesus' words on the topic. From Matthew 21, 32, it says, For John, and this is John the Baptist, he says, For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now Jesus is using the irony of the group so widely believed to be the absolute opposite of the Pharisees. These, these prostitutes and these tax collectors, you know, those sinners. Yet Jesus points out that they are more accepting of the truth of salvation than those believed to be above them in the religious hierarchy of the day. All of this, all of which is to the point of Jesus, which is this. All have equal opportunity for grace and salvation because of righteousness. And this is the righteousness as God defines it. And this is achievable by anyone. And it is available to everyone. Romans 3.22 speaks this truth when it says, The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. No wonder the Pharisees didn't care for him. It's like the most aware man in the room is telling the audience the secret of the magic trick. He's saying, ignore the man behind the curtain, just like the Wizard of Oz said, when all along he knew that the real magic was already within each one of them that sought it. And so it is with Jesus who came to live among us to save us, redeem us, and to sanctify us. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the, the, the third party of the Trinity that is God, is, is another gift given through Jesus Christ when upon his departure from earth he requested that his Father, our God, send a helper, as he described him, a helper in his place, a helper that still resides within us today. No magic needed, just the guidance that is revealed to us in truth and in love that leads us to an eternal life with the Father. Romans 8.10 says this, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Even the additional loss I took in my pursuit to offset my original loss has resulted in a gain of sorts. Hebrews 12:11 reminds us, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's as if my father, my heavenly father, said, why don't you sit down and think about what you've done and write down what you've learned. And this message you're hearing is my 2,400-word essay on the drawbacks of pursuing loss, and it is the tangible result of a lesson learned. This lesson is the value of grace as the source of righteousness, Christ as the source of salvation, and God's word as the source of truth and hope. Friends, try harder Christianity does not work. It is pursuing loss because even if you are pursuing things that you believe to be righteousness, you are, by definition, misunderstanding the meaning of righteousness. The true miracle and gift of grace is that it, is, it makes something that would otherwise be unattainable, and that is this righteousness, it makes something that is un unattainable a sure bet and an easy win. Friends, don't spend dollar after dollar pursuing the loss. Invest in the things that are good. Invest in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And the payback is more than you can imagine. Let's pray. Father God, it's amazing how you take discipline and lessons in life and you teach us something. Even here as I'm uh, among friends and family and having a wonderful time, as I, as I see my own errors and flawed in my thinking... God, help us to reconnect our thinking with the way that is in alignment with yours. God, that, that instead of beating ourselves up for the things we've done wrong, we turn to you. We turn to the things that are right and good. You say and you promise that, that you, our sins are forgotten, forgiven, completely forgotten, separated as far as the east is from the west, anytime we repent. So, Lord, now we, we lift up our sins to you. We say we are sorry. Help us to learn the lesson that you would have us learn and help us to realign ourselves with your good and pleasing will. Lord, again, I thank you for the way you work in our lives. We give this message to you, and may we all be changed for hearing it. Amen.